0: Fear not, my little bottomless sib. Modern food technology has the answer. Grab all you want. We got coupons. Hey, let's get some ice cream.
1: How about this one? Pistachio Almond Fruit Fudge Butterscotch Delight.
2: (laughs) Ingredients. Zinc Trisodium Aspartate, Sorbitol and Bisulfate. Oxide, beta-carotene, lactic acid, carabine. Green A milk emulsified, maltodextrin, alkalide, silicon, deoxalite, lots of sugar. It's all right! Calcified synthetic salt, artificial barley malt, glycerin and aspartate, folic acid. That tastes great! Monosodium glutamate, dehydrated calciumate, soybean oil, butterfat,
3: Welcome, my friends, welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 12th day of October, 2008. Once again, I would like to welcome all the new listeners to The Corbett Report who have found the podcast after viewing this week's edition of our weekly YouTube documentary series, U.S. Army Prepares to Invade U.S. I'd like to encourage all of my listeners to visit corbettreport.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, as well as our video, article, and interview RSS feeds. And as always, if you don't know how to sign up for an RSS feed, you can always sign up for our email subscription list by clicking on the subscribe tab on the left side of the homepage. I'd like to thank my listeners who are continuing to spread the word about this podcast and the Corbett Report website by posting links all over the web. In the last week, links to the Corbett Report have appeared not only on Infowars.com and PrisonPlanet.com, but on such diverse sites as Current.com, SpikedHumor.com, DailyNewscaster.com, and even the Huffington Post. A heartfelt thank you to all of those listeners who are standing up and taking action in the Infowar, continuing to spread this information as we continue to destroy the lies of the controlled corporate media. And on that note, it's time for today's Real News. Our first story comes from the Corbett Report, 12th of October, 2008. The birth of the global dictatorship. Media propaganda at fever pitch as banker takeover proceeds. An emergency meeting taking place in Washington this weekend is bringing together finance ministers and central bankers from the Group of Seven Nations, as well as their G20 counterparts. According to U.S. Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson, the meeting is intended to discuss ways to further enhance our collective efforts to confront the crisis that has frozen credit markets around the globe. Now the World Bank president is musing about a new global economic authority The IMF chief is cheerleading the first coordination between advanced countries and the rest of the world, something the WTO hasn't been able to accomplish. And the CFR is relishing the chance to implement a global monetary authority, just like they've been writing about for years. Add to this the historic joint cut in interest rates by central banks around the world last week. Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi's revelation that world leaders are considering suspending global markets while they rewrite the rules of international finance, and the startling plan for China to bail out America on condition that America socialize its banking system. And it seems the long-term plan to use this pre-engineered economic catastrophe to bring about new global systems of financial and governmental control is finally falling into place. This is, of course, precisely what the Corbett Report has predicted time and time and time again, in line with what other analysts have been saying for years. Not that you would understand this quest for global government for what it is by reading the controlled corporate media, In an unprecedented piece of revisionist propaganda, the Wall Street Journal just published a short banking history of the United States that makes the outrageous argument that centralizing power in the hands of the bankers is in fact the solution to economic problems. It holds that the Great Depression came about because the Federal Reserve didn't have enough power, not because the Federal Reserve's policies caused it, as even Fed Chairman Bernanke himself has admitted. The Wall Street Journal's myopic insistence that giving central banks more authority and control, despite the fact that they are leading us closer and closer to a hyperinflationary event, is patently ridiculous, but fits perfectly into the familiar ploy of providing preordained solutions to the problems they themselves have created. Our second story this week comes from Ross Story, 6th of October 2008. Delta Force Officer... U.S. officials stopped plans to kill bin Laden. After September 11, 2001, a team of elite Delta Force commandos was sent into Afghanistan with an assignment to find and kill Osama bin Laden at Tora Bora, but that mission failed. The commander of the Delta Force team has now written a book which tells what he says is the true story of what went wrong. He appeared anonymously on CBS's 60 Minutes on Sunday to summarize that story. Bin Laden was known to be holed up at Tora Bora on a ridge with an elevation of 14,000 feet. The Delta Force team's initial plan was to come at him from the direction he'd least expect, climbing over the mountains at his back, but that plan wasn't approved by the higher-ups. Their second idea, to drop hundreds of landmines along the mountain passes to Pakistan to impede Bin Laden's retreat and then bring in helicopters, was also turned down. "'How often does Delta come up with a tactical plan that's disapproved by higher headquarters?' CBS's Scott Pelley asked the commando leader. "'In my experience, in my five years at Delta, never before. "'The only remaining option was a frontal assault by 50 U.S. Delta Force members "'plus their Afghan guides, "'and the Afghan warlord accompanying the commandos frankly told them, "'I don't think you guys can handle it. "'A few million dollars from the CIA quickly secured his cooperation,' but only to a degree. The Delta Force leader told CBS that the Afghan fighters went home every night, abandoning whatever territory had been gained that day. It was almost like it was an agreement, an understanding between the two forces fighting each other, he said. Our final story comes from the Wall Street Journal, October eighth, two 2008. McCain addresses, My Fellow Prisoners. In a campaign with plenty of gaffes to go around, John McCain added one to the mix Wednesday. The Republican presidential candidate addressed a crowd in Pennsylvania as my fellow prisoners. McCain made the slip while discussing his plans for the economy, including health care and energy policies. Across this country, this is the agenda I have set before my fellow prisoners, he said. The prepared remarks, which the campaign distributed during the speech, showed he meant to say, citizens. Welcome to episode 59 of the Corbett Report, Codex Alimentarius. In recent years, a disturbing problem has been rearing its ugly head. This is the latest
4: imported Chinese food product to be withdrawn from Australian supermarket shelves, Kirin milk tea. Consumers are advised not to drink it and keep the tea away from children. It's the fourth imported food item from China to be withdrawn from Australian supermarkets. Last year nearly 4,000 pets died in the United States after eating pet food contaminated with melamine from Chinese ingredients. The Retail Grocers' Association says the warning signs about melamine contamination have been around for over a year and Australian authorities should have moved faster.
1: It was not only pet food, it was also food that was made for human consumption. They, the FDA, brought this to the American people's attention in April of 2007.
4: So far there are no reports of Australians becoming ill from eating any of the four withdrawn products.
1: Our advice for consumers is don't consume the white rabbit lollies or the koala biscuits. Do dispose of them safely. But if you have eaten them, look, it's not a, long-term, it's not a major safety risk. Is there a safe level of ingestion of this? I don't believe there is. Um, if there's a safe ingestion level of rat droppings, do I want to get my diet up to a point where I'm eating up to the, the safe ingestion level of rat droppings? I don't think so.
4: The Australian Consumers Association says the globalisation of food industries is producing big challenges for food safety authorities, especially when it comes to monitoring pesticides. Today Chinese milk products were still being withdrawn from supermarkets throughout the world and the signs are that more products
3: may yet be recalled. This is of course an extremely disturbing trend and one that affects us at the most basic biological level, that is, at our daily intake of food. Unless, of course, that is, you listen to the talking heads of MSNBC and other members of the controlled corporate media. That's right, apparently, tainted food is actually a good thing.
5: inflation that's another interesting point because a lot of people like to say uh scaremonger about China right a lot of politicians and I know you talk about that issue all the time I think people should be careful what they wish for on China you know if China were to revalue its currency or China is to start making say toys that don't have lead in them or food that isn't poisonous their costs of production are going to go up and that means prices at Walmart here in the United States are going to go up too so I would say China is our greatest friend right now they're keeping prices low and they're keeping prices for mortgages low
3: Well, assuming that we don't buy into that propagandistic garbage, the problem of tainted food is, of course, a very real one. So it seems that we have the problem, that is, those naughty manufacturers in China slipping melamine and other tainted goods into our food supply, which, of course, is increasingly global in scope. And we now have a reaction. We are upset and concerned by this, and want it to stop. Well, there must be a solution. What are they going to do about it? Well, luckily, those wonderful concerned people at the World Health Organization have an answer. It's called Codex Alimentarius. And in fact, it's been around for a very long time. Since 1963, in fact. You can find out more about Codex Alimentarius by going to their homepage at codexalimentarius.net, where you can read right on their front page that, quote, The Codex Alimentarius Commission was created in 1963 by FAO and WHO to develop food standards, guidelines, and related texts such as codes of practice under the joint FAO-WHO food standards program. The main purposes of this program are protecting health of the consumers and ensuring fair trade practices in the food trade, and promoting coordination of all food standards work undertaken by international governmental and non-governmental organizations, end quote. Reading through the various information available online, both at the Codex Alimentarius site and others, it can quickly be determined that Codex Alimentarius was essentially set up as an international trade commission, an extension of the UN operating under their World Health Organization and Food and Agriculture Organization, All of this sounds so far so good, and a potential solution to the problem of tainted food being added to the global food supply by countries with lax food standards. Now, the Codex Alimentarius, being a branch of the WHO, FAO, and ultimately the UN, is of course merely international trade guidelines and have no regulatory force. However, looking at the World Trade Organization website, it can be found that the WTO has in fact adopted the Codex Alimentarius as part of its trade agreement. From a page from the WTO website entitled The WTO and the FAO-WHO Codex Alimentarius, the following can be found. The WTO's SPS agreement states that to harmonize sanitary and phytosanitary measures on as wide a basis as possible, members shall base their sanitary or phytosanitary measures on international standards, guidelines, or recommendations. The agreement names the Joint FAO-WHO Codex Alimentarius as the relevant standard-setting organization for food safety. Indeed, regulating international trade guidelines for food safety is not the only thing that the Codex Alimentarius does. It also has branches which operate in highly diverse fields related to food safety, including biotechnology, which of course is the bland-sounding euphemism for genetically engineered food. On the FAO.org website, there's a page called Biotechnology GM Food, which says the following. Quote, In 1999, the Codex Alimentarius Commission ...established an ad hoc intergovernmental task force on foods derived from biotechnology... ...to consider the health and nutritional implications of such food. It is tasked with developing standards, guidelines, or recommendations, as appropriate... ...for foods derived from biotechnology or traits introduced into foods by biotechnology. End quote. It seems, then, that the Codex Alimentarius is an extremely large organization with branches and tentacles that affect basically all aspects of food preparation and international trade. Surprising, then, that so few people have heard of this Codex Alimentarius, and that's perhaps because it does not bear much scrutiny before revealing some very disturbing secrets. At this point, I'd like to turn to an excellent and very informative documentary on Codex Alimentarius which I would highly recommend that each and every one of my listeners watch for themselves and then attempt to distribute to other people. The video features Dr. Rima Lebeau of the Natural Solutions Foundation, which can be found at healthfreedomusa.org. This is an excellent organization which is helping to raise awareness of many very important health freedom issues in the United States and around the world, and we'll talk more about that organization later. But right now, let's listen to Dr. Rima LeBeau talking about Codex Alimentarius.
2: Let me tell you about Codex Alimentarius. Let me define it for you. Let me me help you understand the enemy. And let me assure you that absolutely nothing that I'm going to tell you is exaggerated, is interpolated or is imagined. Everything I'm going to tell you is documented. And it's a great deal of it is documented on my website, which is www.healthfreedomusa.org. Let me back up and tell you that I've been watching Codex come toward us for about the last decade. And I've been watching the votes in Congress, which, God help us, is our bastion of support and protection against Codex, and I'll explain why that is. I've been watching the votes to protect our health freedom dwindle, until finally, in the 109th Congress, without a good deal of activity, we didn't have the votes to protect us. I've been watching Codex accelerate, and I've been watching it expand, and I've been getting more and more troubled. Let me give you a brief rundown of Codex, then. After the Second World War, the Nuremberg tribunals were held in which people who had committed crimes against humanity were judged by the world community in a court run by the United States and Britain, and they were sentenced to terms in prison if they were found guilty of crimes against humanity. One of the people found guilty of crimes against humanity was the president of a a huge industrial megalith called IG Farben. IG Farben produced the gas used in the gas chambers, Cyclone B. They produced the steel for the death camps and the railroad lines. They produced the munitions. They produced chemicals. They produced all kinds of stuff. They produced pharmaceuticals big, 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 big pharmaceutical company. So the president of IG Farben was convicted of crimes against humanity. Now, he's a sort of artistic fellow and creative. He was the one who was responsible for the slogan that people saw as they entered Auschwitz, usually for the last time. Arbeit macht frei. Work brings freedom. Creative sort of fellow. So he was sitting in jail and he said, well, that didn't work. (laughs) What else can we do? I've got it. Food. He who controls food controls the world. So when he got out of jail, he went to his UN buddies, and he said, have I got an idea for you. If we take over food worldwide, we have power worldwide. And his UN buddies said, cool idea. And so they created a trade commission. That's a very important pair of words. A trade commission called the Codex Alimentarius Commission. It is not a public health commission. It is not a consumer protection commission. It is a trade commission. Trade is about what? Money. 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 Yeah. Business trade is about profit. Well, they said, in 1962, we're going to work toward total global implementation of Codex Alimentarius on December 31st, 2009, long term. And they set up a bunch of committees, committees on fish and fishery, fats and oil, fruits and vegetables, ground nuts, Uh, nutrition and foods for special dietary uses, and so on. There are currently about 27 Codex Committee. there are regional organizations, there are task forces, and so on. So it's a huge bureaucratic monstrosity. It's immense. Codex has promulgated well over 4,000 guidelines, standards, and regulations on everything, everything which can legally be put into your mouth with the exception of pharmaceuticals. They are not part of codex. Important. Now, codex standards have no legal weight whatsoever. Zero. So who cares about them? They're just standards. So we're talking about an industry-dominated, regulation-setting organization. But if it has no legal standing, who cares, right? Here's the history of Codex Alimentarius before 1962. The Austro-Hungarian Empire said, we need rules by which the courts can rule on cases involving food. So we'll have regulations and rules that the courts will enforce. That's how they get their weight. That was called the Codex Alimentarius, and it was put into place around 1893 and lasted until the end of the Austro-Hungarian Empire in the First World War. So the idea was there in the Germanic tradition. We need rules, lots of rules, lots and lots of rules. We need a lot of rules. Let's have rules for everything to do with food. So it was sort of a natural extension for the German industrialists to say, we'll go back to the good old days of Codex Alimentarius, back when we had them in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Cool. So they started promulgating their rules and regulations, and they were voluntary. They were sort of guidelines. Now, Codex Alimentarius Commission is administered by the World Health Organization, WHO, and the FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization. They fund Codex, and they run it at the request of the UN. So they're mommy and daddy to Codex Alimentarius. And that's very interesting, because they're supposed to be about health and food worldwide, some conflicts of interest that we'll talk about. So Codex started promulgating regulations and rules. And the way that's done is that the committees work up a rule, a standard, a guideline, a regulation, and then they get it to what's called Step 8, which is the final step in their administrative process. And then it's presented to the Codex Alimentarius Commission for ratification, like the Vitamin and Mineral Guideline, was presented to the Codex Alimentarius Commission on July 4th this past summer. It was ratified, it was approved by consensus, and it is now, despite the propaganda that you're going to hear, if you ever hear about it in the media, it is now mandatory upon any member country of the WTO, the World Trade Organization. Well, what in the world do they have to do with it? And the answer is everything. The World Trade Organization, you see, accepted codex when it was, when the World Trade Organization was formed in 1994. Okay? They said... Well, how are we going to decide trade disputes around food if we don't have a set of rules? I know we'll accept the Codex Alimentarius rules, and all the members of the WTO worldwide will, get ready for an Orwellian term, harmonize with our standards, with the Codex standards. Harmonize. I suggest you capitalize the first four letters in your mind. So, everybody's supposed to harm ONIs oh nice, with Codex. And when they harm ONIs oh nice, with Codex, then if they get pulled into the World Trade Organization dispute resolution process, they have a chance of winning. Because, here's the kicker. You ready for this one? If two countries go into the World Trade Organization dispute resolution process, and one of them is Codex compliant, and one of them is not codex compliant, the one that is codex compliant automatically wins regardless of the merit of the case. People are using codex compliance as a weapon in a much bigger economic battle. So, every country in the world is racing to do what? To become codex compliant. So, in the United States, The situation is, okay, how do we become Codex compliant when we have laws that protect us? And you have to remember that Codex does not serve consumer well-being, does not serve health. It serves what I call the five bigs, Big Pharma, Big Chema, Big Biotechna, Big Agribiz, and Big Medica. Little you and little me are not served by Codex in the least. So, before we go forward and talk about the rest of what has to happen, let's ask what Codex does. You probably all know about the Vitamin and Mineral Guideline that was ratified on July 4th. You may not know that although it is said that Codex guidelines, regulations, and standards which have been ratified are voluntary. They are not voluntary. That is known as a lie. They are mandatory, but they are not fully mandatory until December 31st, 2009. They're sort of kinda a little bit mandatory now, and they're totally mandatory then. Okay, so What does Codex do? Why do I care enough about Codex to close my practice and stop treating patients who came to me from around the world to help them regain their health and be radiantly well with non-toxic means, which is a very satisfying thing to do. I love it. And it also provided me with an income. That was nice. Um, Why am I concerned enough? Okay, let's talk about the vitamin and mineral guideline first. In 1994, here in the United States, DSHEA, the Dietary Supplements, Health, and Education Act, was passed, which classifies nutrients and herbs as foods. As foods, you can set no upper limit on them. You cannot set an upper limit on lettuce, lamb, or rutabagas. And similarly, you cannot set an upper limit on vitamin C, echinacea, ginkgo biloba, vitamin D. And... Access to nutrients is freely given to us. We are allowed to have any nutrients we want because, and this is a very important point, under common law, anything not forbidden is permitted. Codex, on the other hand, is a Napoleonic Code law system. Under Napoleonic Code, anything not permitted is Forbidden. That's called a positive list. So vitamins and nutrients, minerals. In 1994, we passed Deshaies. Nutrients are foods. We can have as much of them as we want. It's our business. In 1994, Codex, with no notice here in this country whatsoever, declared nutrients, put on your intellectual seatbelts, declared nutrients to be toxins. They're poisons. Dangerous industrial poisons. As poisons, we have to be protected from them.
3: Some startling information to be sure, and once again I urge my listeners to check out that documentary for themselves. It is an excellent source of information on the subject. And I'd like to let all of my listeners know that of course you can gain access to all of the documents cited in each and every one of the episodes of my podcast by going to corbettreport.com clicking on the Episodes tab, locating the current episode, and clicking on the Documentation link. And you will find a list, sorted by time index, of links to all of the documents, audio and video, cited and used in today's episode. Now, for those of you who didn't hear or couldn't quite believe what you were hearing, that is correct, Dr. Rima Lebeau, in that clip, did state that Codex Alimentarius actually classifies nutrients and vitamins as toxins. Perhaps you still don't quite believe what you're hearing, and of course I encourage my listeners to be incredulous about all facts cited in all documentaries, and to check the facts out for themselves. And I heartily recommend that you are incredulous, and that you do look for another source of information. So, why don't I provide one for you? It's called Codex Alimentarius, Population control under the guise of consumer protection. This was an article put out on September 10, 2008, written by Dr. Gregory D'Amato and posted on naturalnews.com. In a section from that article entitled The Real Threat, the following quote, While the esoteric agenda of the media is busy driving fear into the hearts of the world by focusing on terrorism, global warming, ...salmonella, and food shortages, the real threats are clandestinely becoming a reality. Soon every single thing you put into your mouth, with the exception of pharmaceuticals, of course, ...will be highly regulated by Codex Alimentarius, including water. The standards of Codex are a complete affront to the freedom of clean and healthy food, ...yet these regulations have no legal international standing... Why should we be worried? These soon-to-be mandatory standards will apply to every country who are members of the WTO. If countries do not follow these standards, then enormous trade sanctions will result. Some Codex standards that will take effect on December 31st, 2009, and once initiated are completely irrevocable, include... All nutrients, vitamins, and minerals are to be considered toxins, poisons, and are to be removed from all food because Codex prohibits the use of nutrients to prevent, treat, or cure any condition or disease. All food, including organic, is to be irradiated, removing all toxic nutrients from food unless eaten locally and raw. Nutrients allowed will be limited to a positive list developed by Codex, which will include such beneficial nutrients like fluoride, 3.8 milligrams daily, developed from environmental waste. All other nutrients will be prohibited nationally and internationally to all Codex-compliant countries. All nutrients, example COQ10, vitamins A, B, C, D, zinc, and magnesium, that have any positive health impact on the body will be deemed illegal under Codex and are to be reduced to amounts negligible to human health. You will not even be able to obtain these anywhere in the world, even with a prescription. All advice on nutrition, including written online or journal articles, or oral advice to a friend, family member, or anyone, will be illegal. This includes naturalnews.com reports on vitamins and minerals and all nutritionist consultations. All dairy cows are to be treated with Monsanto's recombinant bovine growth hormone. All animals used for food are to be treated with potent antibiotics and exogenous growth hormones. Mandatory use of growth hormones and antibiotics on all food herds, fish, and flocks worldwide implementation of unlabeled gmos into crops, animal, fish and trees elevated levels of residue from pesticides and insecticides that are toxic to humans and animals." End quote. Now both that article and the documentary that we were listening to earlier go into much greater detail about how codex alimentarius is being implemented in the United States. But it's important to note that this is, of course, a worldwide issue, not simply an American issue. And the same struggles that are going on in the United States as lawmakers seek to implement these repressive guidelines over their citizenry are happening all around the world. One clear example of that comes from Canada and Bill C-51. Regular listeners to the Corbett Report might remember Bill C-51 from episode 41 of the Corbett Report, Food is a Weapon. At the end of episode 41, we heard Alan Watt talking about Bill C-51 and the draconian measures it contains to try to limit natural health products and even vitamins, and also the sweeping powers it gave police and other health authorities to help enforce that law. Now, I would suggest you go back and either listen to that episode or re-listen to it to familiarize yourself with that information. But just to keep us up to speed, I'd like to take a look at an article from June 7, 2008 from the Edmonton Journal headlined Strong Medicine for Canada's Natural Health Industry. It reads in part, quote, Canadian users of natural health products, NHPs, are alarmed about Bill C-51, fearing it will remove more products they rely on from store shelves. On the other hand, politicians and bureaucrats assure us that the bill will simply provide consumers with a safety net by giving Health Canada a mechanism to eliminate dangerous products. In it, regulatory distinctions between natural products and pharmaceuticals are to be blurred as they are treated equally under the umbrella term therapeutic product, despite their radically different safety profiles. The bill provides Health Canada inspectors with vast powers to remove products at their own discretion, without court supervision or any legal accountability. Inspectors don't need a search warrant, or even a reason for a seizure, and they can hold seized products for any amount of time. In fact, The bill provides Health Canada with more power to seize vitamins than our police have to seize street drugs like cocaine. And with no legal recourse provided for these companies, such seizures would occur beyond the law. Michael Hayes, a former Health Canada drug inspector, recently stated, What concerns me the greatest is that this bill, if passed as is, will give inspectors the power to seize your property and documents without cause, that is, without having reasonable grounds to believe that there is a violation of the Food and Drug Act or its regulations. It's simply unimaginable that any government would even propose such measures. End quote. Indeed, it is unimaginable that any such draconian rules, guidelines, or regulations could exist as the Codex Alimentarius, which they are seeking to implement wholesale in various parts of the globe simultaneously in the headlong rush before mandatory implementation of December 2009. It's important to note that there is also a coordinated media effort to sell Codex Alimentarius to you, without ever even referring to Codex Alimentarius. If you're like me, you've probably never even heard of Codex Alimentarius in the corporate-controlled media, but you may have heard headlines like this. BBC News, 14th of June, 2001. Vitamin C may harm as well as heal. Deseret News, Salt Lake City, May 18th, 2006. Vitamin pills may not help and may do harm. Foxnews.com, October 4th, 2008. Organic food offers little more than peace of mind, critics say. Of course, there are hundreds more articles like these ones, and I suggest you go check them out for yourselves if you can stomach the propaganda in them. But there is undoubtedly a coordinated effort ongoing to sell the fact to you that you do not need vitamins and nutrients to live, that in fact, you are not best served by eating natural products, but by eating the manufactured, processed, industrial chemicals which pass for food these days. Why? What is the need to sell this to you? And what is the aversion to talking openly about Codex Alimentarius in the media? Why are bills like Bill C-51 in Canada presented outside the context of this larger story so that it can be connected to what's happening in the US, in the EU, in Australia, and indeed in all of the 170 member countries of the WTO simultaneously. Indeed, it's difficult to gain a perspective of just what is at stake in the implementation of these laws. In order to get a better understanding of that, I'd like to turn to another documentary, This one, a 2005 documentary on Codex Alimentarius called We Become Silent. Towards the end of the documentary, there's a very good breakdown of just what is at stake in the issue of health freedom and the control over what we put in our own bodies. That most basic of human freedoms and that one which Codex Alimentarius specifically seeks to eradicate.
0: It has been said many times that democracy is the dream of all who are oppressed, the hope of those imprisoned by fear or injustice. But the sad truth, that which is almost too sad to acknowledge, is that the betrayal of democracy began long ago, when profit replaced the will of the people, and corporate lobbyists became the masters of the universe.
3: Alarm bells are going off everywhere. The American people are way ahead of the Congress and have figured this out. And it's only a matter of time until Congress is beaten into, you know, coming around on these issues. I mean, but if we don't do it soon, it could be too late.
0: If it is true what a great civil and human rights leader once said, that our lives begin to end the moment we become silent about things that matter, then freedom has already begun to atrophy because of our inaction. Slowly sovereign rights fade away as surely as the ink on an old declaration is removed by time. The pursuit of happiness, the promise of equality, of personal choice are chipped away by complacency and over time become barely visible in the world around us. If we had treasured it more, some say, if we demanded government cooperation, not interference, if we had exercised our freedoms every day, every week, Just like the forces of power and money have done, if, yes, if
4: only. I think that we should all get together and fight for our rights. I think that these are God-given rights. I think this is a legacy that was given to us at the beginning of time, and we should fight like crazy so that people can maintain their rights from now and forever. There
1: are some who say this is a battle that cannot be won. We are the David. They are the Goliath. But it's too important to sit it out and allow the multinational corporations and the regulators to inform us what our freedom should be. If we don't demand medical freedom of choice, we will lose it. It's critical that the people of Europe, the people of Asia, Africa, the Americas and the rest of the world come together so that we can protect our health freedom for our generation and those of the future.
0: This, then, is your call to action. It is one of enlightened self-interest, a righteous cause that even the high priests of profit cannot defeat. It is a real drug war, a fight for health freedom, a struggle for human rights. And so
1: you get the government you deserve if you don't speak up. The only way to have good government free from all the things that are happening to us is if the citizens stand up and are not doing it. They have to stand up and be counted. And. If you put enough effort, the good guys win. It needs to be done.
0: Modern medicine has led us to Babylon and a wasteland of expensive and often ineffective options. If we do not act, if we become silent, governments will be free to replace the teachings of all ages with toxic lies. Timeless natural medicines, foods and herbs with which we have evolved, culled from thousands of years of collected wisdom will be swept away, crushed under the myopic weight of corporate greed. Yet we often forget how much power we actually wield, and that we are the creators of our own place on this planet. Amid the sea of faces, there is an honorable cartel forming, one for the benefit of mankind.
5: You must join the battle by protecting yourself and your family from health frauds. When you're in trouble, that's not always easy. But in the end, being victimized can be far worse. It can mean not only your money, but your life.
3: Again, We Become Silent features such speakers as Ron Paul and is a good source of information about Codex Elementarius and the issues of health freedom. So it is highly recommended Although I think that documentary places too much emphasis on the idea that this is being done solely for corporate profit. Whereas I think it's obvious that this is not merely done for monetary gain. What monetary gain is there to limit people from putting nutrients and vitamins and minerals in their own bodies? No, this is about control, and control for a very dark ideological purpose... What that purpose is, I will allow my listeners to discover for themselves, but I think it's suggested in Dr. Rima LeBeau's derivation of the roots of Codex Alimentarius in I.G. Farben, and it's an ideology that we've talked about time and time again in the Corbett Report podcast, most notably in episode 28. Regardless, now that we're aware of the plan, and we know what is coming down the pike, The question inevitably becomes, what are we going to do about it? Of course, as always, getting the information out to others is an important and vital step in starting the revolution of the mind. But of course, there's also a political battle to be waged, and one that we cannot afford to neglect. The stakes are simply too high. The political battle against these types of draconian laws and regulations is not one that will necessarily end in defeat. Some startling victories have already been won, including the defeat of Bill C-51 in Canada. That news comes from the Alliance for Natural Health, which released an update on 24th of June 2008 headlined Canadians Beat Bill C-51, But Watch the Back Door. Quote, around a million Canadians made their feelings known about Bill C-51, an amendment introduced by the Harper government to the Canadian Food and Drugs Act. The mass opposition to this bill forced the Canadian Parliament to call off the second reading last Friday. The bill, having been successfully through first reading on 8th of April 2008, is now dead. Hooray for mass protest. The bill was going to create a new category called therapeutic products, which would throw natural health products, or therapeutic foods, into the same category as drugs. It would also have given Canadian authorities obscene powers to raid premises, confiscate products with no reasons given. It would scare the small, somewhat fragile, and fragmented natural products industry into submission, an industry that is the lifeline for millions of consumers who prefer to take natural products rather than drugs to manage their health. Enter Bill C-52. The back door the authorities are planning to use is Bill C-52. This bill is designed for something entirely different. It's meant to be about protecting consumers from unsafe products and chemicals such as pesticides. It is not directly concerned with natural health products but Sean Buckley has identified that by slipping in one simple amendment to schedule 1 of bill C52 the bill could be applied to natural health products overnight it could put simply be used to take away their rights in the name of safety End quote. Well at this moment in October of 2008 both bill C51 and C52 have been stopped in parliament Political pressure in a minority government leading up to an election conspired to bring about the end of those bills, at least for the time being. But Canadians need to remain vigilant and stop C-51, and a great way to do that is to go to stopc51.com, a website that offers detailed information about the bill, its background, its history, its current legislative standing, and how you can get involved in helping to stop it from going any further. You can also view and support the newly drafted Charter of Health Freedoms, which Stop C51 is promoting on their website, and which I think is worth reading. If you're an American citizen, you can look at healthfreedomusa.org, the website of the Natural Solutions Foundation, the organization headed by Dr. Rima LeBeau. This organization provides information about a number of health freedom-related issues. That is to say, issues related to how you can medicate your own body, that most fundamental of all freedoms. It's an excellent and informative website, so I suggest you check it out. And also, sign up for their newsletter, so you can stay informed about ways to get active and political if you live in the United States. If you live in the UK... I suggest you check out the Alliance for Natural Health, and specifically their chief executive, Kevin Verkirk, who is a strong activist against the Codex Alimentarius being implemented in the UK, and indeed throughout the world. Of course, no matter where you live, what country you may live in, by googling your country and Codex Alimentarius, you'll likely find an organization opposed to the implementation of these draconian measures. It's important that we get behind these organizations and support them in whatever way we can to let the governments and the non-governmental UN agencies that run the show know that we the citizens will not give up our most fundamental human rights, including the right to possess and medicate our own bodies. If it is true that you are what you eat, then what does it say that the government wants to restrict what you eat? The implications are chilling enough. And once again, I suggest that you get informed and get active. That's it for another edition of the Corbett Report. Thank you for joining me. And join me again next week for another episode. This
1: is from the Scientific Outlook, 1931. Ordinary men and women will be expected to be docile, industrious, punctual, thoughtless, and contented. Hmm? Do you know anyone who is like that? Beware of the man trying to
5: protect the pandas, posing as a philanthropist, trying to hand propaganda straight from the Pentagon commanders. Since 1931, they've injected people with cancers. David Rockefeller sent Cornelius P. Rose to Puerto Rico to experiment upon the people. The good doctor murdered a dozen and then proceeded to revel in a letter. You should Google it and read it. That's Every year there lived the great Lord Bertrand Russell. Nobody flexed more muscle for the new world or the hustle. 80 years ago in a book, he basically told you how through diet and injection they were going to mold. You and make you dumb for the sum of tuition. Now it has all come plumb to fruition. Just one link in the chain of tyranny missing. A chip in your brain to enjoy your virtual prison. Warm and fuzzy speech will do, to make you dream a dream or two. Plans like these we must conceal while you. Essential ability to think for yourself and reach your potential ability as they celebrate the West and fertility. And if you dissent, you will be sent to a mental facility. Scientific psychology perfected and pure is gradualism, they know you will accept it for sure. Not long ago, the sky was a deep blue azure, but most people don't even look up at it anymore. So when you tell slaves they've been getting sprayed like roaches, their eyes glaze like they're under some kind of hypnosis. Trying to follow along with the ticker tape. They brains put in an alpha state from the flickery. Nothing says nothing like stovetop stuffing what you think. They call a shit, the idiot box for nothing. High definition television's mandatory. Move closer. We want you to understand the story. Warm and fuzzy speech will do to make you dream a dream or two.
1: As you'll know, um, food is rather important to us. In fact, it was uh, in the 1940s that the Third Reich um, understood that one of their key control mechanisms might be to um, affect a global system of control over food. And um, many researchers have actually tracked the evolution of those ideas into the establishment of Codex Alimentarius Commission in 1962-63.